0: Welcome back to the History of Arda podcast for our reaction and response of episode six of Rings of Power. I am your host, Dean.
1: I am your host, Alex.
0: And we are excited to talk about the third episode from the end of the first season. we only got two left after this one. Wow. Wow. It's winding down. As Owen Wilson It's winding up.
1: What are you talking about? Did you watch that episode? <laughs> yes.
0: It's uh, action-packed, for sure. This one was called Udoon. What's that mean? Well, it means hell.
1: Ah, um, all right. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Accurate, the, probably. Yeah. yeah.
0: So it's a, it's a form of the word Utumno, uh, which is like, you know, the, the first fortress of Morgoth, but literally it means hell. Uh, this this place that they're at in the Southlands is actually going to become known as, uh, like, the, the valley is going to be called Udun. Mm-hmm. Um, which makes sense by the time the episode finishes. We can kind of see why this is a rather hellish place to be. Um, probably not called that before the episode starts, but surely by the end. Oh, yes. The first thing we see in the episode is Adar planting some alpharin seeds. And we, we were told these were alpharin seeds earlier when Bronwyn gave them to Arondir, And alpharin seeds or symbolmune are the flowers that grow on the tombs of future kings of Rohan and Numenor. Yeah, that's how the episode opens. New life in Defiance of Death, he says. And then he stands up and we see in the background all of the orcs are gathered carrying torches. And so even though <clears throat> we're told in the uh, bonus features, if you're watching on a browser... Amazon says that even though orcs are creatures of darkness, they can't see in the dark and they do require torches to see at night. He addresses them once again as my children when he starts talking to them. And he says, we've traveled far and wide, right? We've traveled from the Ered Mithrim to the Ethel Arnen and uh, just a little bit of nerd Tolkien stuff here for you. The, the Ered Mithrin are the Gray Mountains, which are north of what will become known as Mirkwood, that place where all the spiders are in The Hobbit. Um, and north of that, there's a range of mountains called the Gray Mountains. And the second term that he uses, Effel Arnon, though, is a bit of a mixture of two other things that we know from The Lord of the Rings. There's the Emin Arnon, and then there's the Efel Duath. Those are two separate... Uh, geographical locations. The Ephelduath are mountains that are on the border of Mordor, and the Emin Arnon is an area just south of Osgiliath, just west of Mordor. Some of these names are going to change when the geographical features around them change. Just Mm. like we said, this valley is probably not called Udun right now, but by the end of the episode, we can see why you would call it Hell. So, could be another one of those. So, the orcs... Uh, once again begin ch- chanting the word Pot, which i have since learned since our last episode i've learned uh is a black speech word that means death so they're just sh- chanting death he leads them to the tower they enter the tower area and waldrig who has been tagging along this whole time now asks adar well you know he's still contemplating the fact that adar doesn't Appear to be Sauron. And so he's like, Well, what happened to him? If you don't mind my asking, what mm-hmm. happened to Sauron? Adar doesn't give any answer. Um, just as we expected in the last episode, when they were looking at the tower, going like, This tower will fall. Oh, and then they yeah. all pause and look at it. We were exactly right on that one uh, that they, that was the plan. They abandoned the tower, they got a safe distance away, and a stayed behind. Uh, on his own in order to collapse this place Mm -hmm. on top of them which was pretty a pretty cool move Um, if he's not going to be useful enough to call for backup from the elves then at least he can he can bring the tower down on everyone and if you notice it's a blink and you miss it moment but Adar sort of pushes himself out in a self-sacrificing gesture Mm -hmm. uh, when all that stuff all the rocks start to collapse on them but Everyone makes it out okay, or at least all of our recognizable characters make it out. Probably a lot of orcs die. But the tower does fall, and from a distance, all of the Southlanders are cheering. Uh, and now their 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 second plan is, okay, let's go back to Tirharad, back to the village now, and yeah. let's fortify it and defend it from them. Again, why they wouldn't just skedaddle and get completely right, out of there. again,
1: but... especially like as that battle's going on in the actual village, where they're like, okay well we'll fall back to like the one building and we'll hole up in there because Mm. this army won't be able to yeah break in like none of it makes right sense well they
0: do have a a little bit more of a strategy i i said fall back and sort of defend the the town but what they actually plan to do is repeat the same strategy again they're going to lure the orcs across the bridge into a kind of pincher move where they're going to uh, you know, drop some flaming barrels on either side of them so they can't escape from this confined area, and then mm-hmm. they're going to have archers on top of buildings firing arrows down yeah. into them, which is a really good plan to to reduce the number of orcs really quickly. And even if we disagree and say, you know, they should just get, get the hell out of there. What it shows us is that the Southlanders are willing to fight their own battle. They're yeah. not going to wait for backup, although backup is on its way. Now, I feel like I'm missing something here because Numenor is, is on the way. Sure. Okay. But, and we've, as we know, we've got three ships carrying 300 soldiers and somehow horses enough for all of them. And yeah. those ships, which are clearly not big enough for that, but moving on, what confuses me is why the Numenorians are in such a hurry to get there. So, From what we've seen so far, it seems like Halbrand is their source of information as to where Adar is headed. Now, we know Halbrand has been away from the South for, it seems like, a long time This is what
1: was my hang-up, too, and I'm glad you brought it up. Because I was thinking about this also, like, logistic time-wise, right? If we're thinking, like, how long the orcs must have been active in the Southlands for them to supposedly destroy Halbrand's home. Mm
0: -hmm. He's had
1: encounters with them. Then he makes a run for it to the coast. Right. Where on the coast, at some point, they're sailing, they're shipwrecked, he floats all the way out to Numenor.
0: Mm -hmm. Like the
1: logistics of all that are months and months.
0: It seems like it should be. And
1: we know Arondir, only very recently were the elves called away Mm -hmm. from the south ends from watching. So, like, the time frame doesn't make sense. So, either somehow, wherever Halbrand was, there weren't any elves. To see the orc activity happening. Or he's lying because Mm -hmm. this is a massive army of orcs. For them to already be attacking human villages and the elves not know about it seems... For nobody else to know about it seems sus. And so, yeah, it's the time frame of getting all the way to Numenor. Everything that happens at Numenor. And then at least starting to sail back because that takes time too for like the right. story that's going on in the southlands now that's only been like a couple of weeks oh right so like the the time frame does not add up here yeah. at all
0: and the urgency of the Numenorians to get back and get to that particular valley as quickly as they i mean they're racing their horses in the following scenes right And they're like, we gotta go. And it's like, you haven't had any communication from the people of Tiharad that they're in trouble. Like no one has communicated saying, get here quickly. You've had all the time in the world to get here, but now we're like, go as quickly as you can. Exactly, (laughs) why are
1: they flying when supposedly it's like, all right, we think we're gonna be there. They have Halbrand, right? Who's like, okay, they're probably heading that way. He hasn't been there for months. Mm -hmm. They need to like send scouts ahead and such, like, which my only takeaway here is for the sake of you know speeding up they need time in right. the episode it is very yeah. possible that they sent scouts ahead the scouts came back and like hey these people are under attack yeah. like all the orcs are here yeah. and they sent them in
0: i would just appreciate that, that. It, like uh, a hint that that was what happened because it was very dramatic to see them arriving and everything but i thought okay we missed something in the story here because at least if they had gotten some communication from tir Harad, like mm-hmm. maybe around your head send something out like we need some backup
1: my biggest uh, anything hang up though is the Halbrand timeline because it doesn't make any sense. Hmm.
0: Yeah, and I well, think
1: after this episode, I'm really falling in oh, the yeah. Halbrand the Sauron pile. I'm For sure, like, hmm. I think
0: a lot of people will be. Hmm. And and here's the thing: like, if he sees Adar and the Orcish army heading towards Tirharad, and that much time has passed, you really think those orcs have just been marching to the Watchtower this whole time? Right. You know? So.
1: I don't think it's possible for the orc army to have been around as long as it would be needed to Mm -hmm. for Halbron's story to make sense and for it not, were it not gotten back to the elves or somebody. Yeah. I I just don't think the timeline makes sense at all. Right,
0: right. Unless
1: he's a liar. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and we're going to come back to that theory because it's very strongly implied in this episode in a couple ways, which are fun.
1: In a couple places. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, let's cut over to just like what happens on the ship real quick. Uh, uh, and say yeah, a couple yeah, things yeah. about that, cuz this is where we go over and we we see what's happening on the three ships. Uh, a sealed door shares an apple with Beric and uh that's, you know, that's a great scene we don't want to pass over. Um it's always fun to eat a apple with your horse um he goes up on deck and he's gonna watch the sunrise and chuck his apple into the ocean um and as one does as one does and galadriel comes out and scolds him for you know being out of bed uh i guess that thought you're gonna say littering <laughs> <laughs> that too <laughs> um ulmo will not be happy <laughs> with, <laughs> with, with, um so Galadriel shows off and tells him she can already see the coast. Like, for the last hour, I've been able to see it. And he says, keen are the eyes of the elves. Um, so this, of course, only works with a flat Earth. So I'm thinking, well, maybe we do still have a flat Earth. Uh, because regardless of how good I- Galadriel's eyesight is, she would not be <laughs> able to see Middle Earth on a round planet. Um, but, you know, uh, we see something similar in the Silmarillion, uh, where the elves who are abandoned by Feanor and his sons sail across to back to middle earth and they set the ships on fire on the coast. And the elves who are way back in Valinor are able to see the flames. So, you know, it's, it's not breaking Tolkien canon at all for elves to be able to see incredible distances because the earth is still flat.
1: What do your elf (laughs) eyes see? Right. Exactly.
0: (laughs) So, but it's, I guess this is one piece of evidence that I was in fact mistaken before, just because there's a fancy entrance to Valinor doesn't necessarily mean that the planet is, you know, that the earth is not still flat, Um, but we'll see. And I'm still holding out hope that they'll address it in a tactful way where the change of the world will only be discovered by like those who are doing charts or maps or sort of proto-scientific work, and then they'll suddenly be like, something has changed, like you know the world itself like the elves will no longer be able to see as far as they were able to for some reason like oh you know, yeah. something like that if that's the the way they handle that change in the in the far future of this show that would be nice but anyways um so halbrand has a conversation with galadriel and he says he's been trying to get away from númenor or the place that is not númenor to him the real númenor is what is lives in his heart you know and in you know his conversations with his mother presumably in the past and Mm. like Numenor today is not recognizably the Numenor that he believes once existed he says well it may never have existed and Galadriel says that she you know believes that it does if only in the heart of a lowly stable hand and I have two problems with this one I mean it's a great line and I like discussion anywhere in Tolkien's work about humility because humility is what heroism is all about that's why sam is the hero of lord of the rings but coming from galadriel who has been the most prideful character in the entire show uh, yeah it's kind of shitty (laughs) yeah it's like who okay galadriel is the one who's going to give you a lesson in humility but also like Isildur is not just a lowly stable hand. He may be cleaning up horseshit right now, but like he's still a Elendil's son. He's still the son of a lord. He's lived a fairly privileged life. Um, (laughs) Fairly. And uh, just because he suddenly got to clean the stables, now he's, you know, he's learned a true lesson of humility. Of course he hasn't. I don't think either of them are the most qualified to speak on humility, but I still appreciate the sentiment. Um Despise not the labor which humbles the heart, is what Galadriel says. Humility has saved entire kingdoms, the proud have all but led to ruin. So it's a nice line. And then that moment where Sildor first sees the sunrise and is just in awe and he sees the coast off to the side. If you look, you can see the coastline of Middle Earth for the first time as the sun rises. That to me is another one of those potentially cheesy moments for some people, but just like gets me and is worth the whole episode. I'm like, I know that feeling like that's ah, that's good. I'm glad that they're not all just big tough warriors who don't feel awe or wonder or anything. Like they still are amazed by this world. And that is very Tolkien to me. Below decks, Muriel is looking at a map of what is going to become Mordor. Uh we she speaks with the Lendiel, um, and he says, you know, we've we're inside of land. It's gonna take us another day to sail up the river. Um and this is the River Anduin, famous from Lord of the Rings. And so a day, a day of sailing up the river and then another day of riding from there, uh, kind of through the mountains to the valley they're headed to.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, as Muriel looks at the map, uh, it's, it's a pretty cool map that she's looking at which appears to be in like Numenorean writing um I don't know how to translate any of those things but it does appear from when she has her big magnifying glass and scoots it around I was guessing earlier on that we were closer to uh the big body of water in Mordor Nûrn, and that whole area but we're actually much closer to where Mount Doom will be Aradruin radruin mm. and the dark tower and all that on the western side of mordor so we are right in the heart of the action and i think this is the first time that was really confirmed for me like oh okay this is not like mount doom is not going to be happening some some far far away place this is right next door and of course we see that by the end of the episode so we cut back to the southlands and Arondir is trying to smash the hilt he can't do it it's the same exact feeling that we get when we go why can't they just destroy the ring why do you have to take it to to a fiery mountain yeah. it's it's that the dark weapons they don't work like that right so he just breaks his weapon just like Gimli breaks his weapon on the one ring and we hear the plan that they're going to barricade the the sick the young the elderly inside the tavern and Theo's mother uh, tells him that he is uh, assigned to guard them and Theo has this moment with Bronwyn that I think was really nice um, he says to his mother, "You know, can you uh, say that thing to you that you used to say to me when I had nightmares as a kid?" And she quotes a line uh, that is from a pretty critical moment when Sam and Frodo are in Mordor, and Sam is looking up and seeing a star in the night sky. Um, and the lines are drawn from that section of *Lord of the Rings*, at least at least part of the lines. Uh, in the end, the shadow is but a small and passing thing. There is light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. Uh, those part, that, that part of the line is from uh, a really beautiful moment in the Lord of the Rings. And it was nice that they repurposed it in that way. Um, and it was a beautiful little moment between mother and son, because you think, okay, one of them might die any moment now, because again, these are characters that are not in Tolkien's lore. So I really thought that we were going to see Bronwyn's death at this point. And, um, and
1: I thought it was cheesy. <laughs> yeah, I, I had a like, feeling you might. <laughs> this is way too flowery. and All yeah. right. Yeah. yeah.
0: And then the line from the trailer uh, that we've heard before uh, that the seems to be original is, find the light and the shadow will not find you. And they sort of added that on. Then a Rondeer tells Bronwyn that it is a tradition among elves before a battle to plant alphorin seeds. In the ground and we go oh okay so this is what adar was doing he's an elf he he knows this tradition at, at the beginning of the episode so even even the bad guy elf was still doing it mm-hmm. and weirdly bronwyn says new life in defiance of death as a question like how did she get the exact phrasing the exact same as what adar said at the beginning of the episode was that just a coincidence uh is there is there anything more going on here or is that just like a hmm okay
1: i think coincidence and i think also they're trying to i think really humanize not only adar but the orcs in this episode you have that major parallel there and then later of course we have um the scene with galadriel which we'll cover but um i think they're raising those parallels of just like okay what really does make these people so different
0: because That's a good point. Yeah, that's a way of saying, like, look, they, you know, human healer, good elf, uh, evil twisted elf are using the same phrase to talk about new life in defiance of death. Mm-hmm. I mean, Maybe there's a lot more of a parallel between them than we are uh, willing to see right now. Yeah. Arandir tells Bronwyn about one of the Valar that watches over growing things and those who tend them. This would be a reference to probably Yavanna. But it could also be a reference to her younger sister, Vana, who is also a sort of, you know, lesser goddess of growing things, uh, typically associated with flowers and that. So not named specifically, but probably he's talking about Yavana, and they have a, a a moment. He puts her hand on the uh, bark of a tree, and then he tells her that they should all live together when the battle is done, as a family, and they kiss. So once again, they trap the orcs in a confined area. This time they use fire. They open, they shoot arrows at them from the roofs of the buildings around. Uh, When the orcs make for the tavern, the Southlanders then come rushing out with uh, melee weapons Mm -hmm. and fight them head on. There's a very gruesome scene between a rondir and a hefty orc fella.
1: Yeah. Oh, God. That story. (laughs) Oh, I. uh, That was grossing me out so bad. mm
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was it's like
1: close your mouth, close <laughs> your
0: mouth. It was the first time that I really thought like, oh, okay, so this is not gonna be like a PG rated. Like this is not the Lord of the Rings anymore. This is a little bit more. Uh, I mean, they've kept adult. it very
1: PG, and something I've noticed is like, yeah, that scene was very gory, quote unquote. But they also did that when it wasn't blood, blood. It's the orc mm-hmm. blood, which is black and kind yeah. of more theatrical yeah. anytime we've seen like we saw someone a human in this episode get her throat like slashed and there's like no blood
0: yeah so right.
1: i think they're orc compensa- gore gets a compensating <laughs> yeah exactly they're compensating for that with orc gore. yeah i so. can see that
0: mm-hmm. yeah but just like trying to pull this like blade thing oh, yeah. out of his yeah, eye all of it's as terrifying. it's dripping the all orcs of are in. terrifying
1: <laughs> it's it's ew, they're yeah. they're scary
0: yeah And as soon as they win the battle against the orcs in the village, uh, Rondir notices some red blood. And so you're Mm -hmm. right. They make a point of showing you orc blood is black typically. And then when he sees the red blood, you go, oh, wait a minute. That's not what we just saw a second ago. Yeah. He takes the helmet off and...
1: Yeah, realizing all of those... Well, not all of them. There were orcs in the mix. But um, all those people that had gone and swore fealty to Adar um they were just sent first to the chopping block so yeah yikes
0: and an orc has survived the attack and he's laying on the ground and he's telling him like they had to pay the toll you know they were just cannon fodder like what Mm -hmm. did you think was gonna happen of course we were gonna use your own people against you
1: but we do see some that hung back like um Mm -hmm. later yep um what's his name waldrick waldrick yeah Yeah, we see waldrick later so he's still around so i wonder if there's others yeah. Um and that's like the blood, like paying with blood, um that Adar yeah. talked about last episode. Right. So like, all right, you wanna be with us, well, prove it. Go Yeah. Like die for us.
0: Yeah. Yep. And, you know, Waldrick had to prove himself too by, you know, killing Rowan mm-hmm. for the orcs before he would, you know, could be trusted with uh with any responsibilities. Right. Which he has a big responsibility in this episode eventually. Mm-hmm. So even as they are discovering this fact, one of the more shocking things in the episode, to me, a volley of arrows comes in and it just starts taking everybody out. And Bronwyn takes two, falls down, all these people are dying, And I'm like, oh, wow, they're about to wipe out a Tear Rod." Yeah, I thought um, they were
1: totally going to kill Bronwyn and that was going to be like kind of the plot motivator of, oh, well, now Theo Theo's goes with the deer and yeah. he's... Oh, oh. I thought No, I thought Arandir would be, like, raising Theo. Like, all right, buddy. And Theo's like, oh, you got my mom killed. Anyway, that didn't happen. It's um, <laughs> but... a
0: God of War story now where Arandir's got the rebellious young teenager raising him as a single father. And... Yeah, exactly, exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's not what happened. But anyway, I yeah, I thought Bronwyn was a goner for a minute there. I was,
0: oh, <laughs> jeez. Is... Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they carry her, you know, around to her, carries her into the tavern. That scene's
1: pretty brutal oof, too. for Lord of the Rings, very,
0: and that one is human blood actually. Yeah. So he, he, her blood, they even show it dripping from underneath the Maybe table. they have a quota. To, uh, like, <laughs> alright,
1: <laughs> you get you get this yeah. much blood per episode to keep it PG. Um,
0: Yeah, it wasn't enough to show her wounds gushing blood, but then they had to show, like I said, the shot under the table to show how much blood was falling through the cracks of the table. I was like, how can she sustain that much blood loss? Oh, my God.
1: Yeah, the scene breaking off the arrow and everything, which granted, I thought um, I kind of gained some respect for Theo as a character through this because he was like freaked out but he like gritted his teeth and was like all right we're doing the thing yeah he uh, gets serious very quickly it does
0: it's it is cool that she was like take care of the other guy first I mean she was a little heroic in that but once it came down to like okay now it's your turn we got to fix you or you're gonna die I she s- does not yeah. spare well the other guy was dead <laughs> yeah <laughs> She's
1: like save yeah. him and then look over yeah, and they're like the oh honey
0: uh, right uh but when it comes to her turn she does not mince words at all with her son. If you don't do this, I'm going to die. Like, yeah. you know, you've got to do this thing. So Arandir takes the elfrin seeds that she gave him to use as uh, to cauterize the wound. So he puts the seeds in the wound and then...
1: Wood from fire is used to cauterize the wound. It's pretty brutal. And then immediately...
0: We think she's going to die. I thought that takeout was another, stupid. Yeah, that That's where that scene out. lost me. Because
1: I was like, this this is dumb. Yeah, It's like, obviously she's <laughs> they not dead do this dead too here. often in movies Yeah, and, stuff. and yeah. like the, oh gosh, she's not breathing. Like really, no one's going to like check but, or like feel her throat or everything. Yeah. They're all just like, oh God, she's dead. Because she just went through something traumatic and she's not moving for a minute. Because she's probably like exhausted. Right. Oh God, she did. I now, don't know. It's just but, stupid. It's tropey. I don't like it. Don't get me wrong Ruined though. Ruined the scene When for
0: me. she stopped moving, I really did think, oh okay she's dead and like i didn't feel like the sadness it was more like i was immediately contemplating what theo's future means what what it's going to be now (laughs) like
1: she hasn't been very present throughout the story and when she is she's kind of a plot device for theo and a she doesn't have a lot of her own motivations and such it was very clear you know what i mean like i guess protect her people protect her son but especially protect your son is just such a like basic motivation to give a mother in a story. It's like, well, duh. Default. Um, I don't know. She does not have a lot of depth for me and I don't know. I don't really have any connection to the character. I thought, again, I thought she was going to die earlier. And like you said, um, I thought, okay, so this is going to be like the motivation for Theo. Right. Um, again, using her, the woman character as a plot device for the Mm -hmm. male son. Um, and that's, Yeah, that's a really. I'm glad you brought that up because it's true. Like she doesn't have enough of her own character motivations. It's just like, all right, how's this gonna play out for Theo? Yeah. Um, on her own, she doesn't really have any substantial. Yeah, she needs to be fleshed out more. Mm -hmm. Um, not literally though. She already took a arrow to the shoulder.
0: So it's a gorgeous scene when we first see the Numenoreans riding into battle. I uh, hate their
1: helmets, and it takes me out of it. I think that's stupid, like, tassels on their helmets. Oh, that's,
0: like, Rohan, 100%. That's, I hate it. That's, that's exactly what the helmets look like in Rohan.
1: But they're not in Rohan. They're in Numenor, and they should be different, and they should be better, because I hate it. <laughs> I, it looks dumb to me, and I'm just like, really? Because oh, it's like just, em. like, pretty boys instead of soldiers. Like, if you were running at me, I wouldn't be scared. I'd just be like, <laughs> oh, you're so shiny. You got, You want to go get lattes? Like, I don't.
0: Aw, uh, All right. I
1: don't like the aesthetic of their armor, but okay. It's like, yeah, it's really pretty. Look at them ride their pretty horses. Yeah. It's not scary. (laughs) These are the armies of Numenor, okay? Like, And again, even if they just didn't have the dumb tassels on their hat, I would be fine. (laughs) I'd be fine.
0: Okay. Yeah, it is a really beautiful shot um, as they're riding into battle, you know, Galadriel racing up at the front and everything. But I have real beef with the scene once again when I – watched a second time and I went what is going on with the celestial bodies in this show they're supposed to be landing on the coasts and riding into the east into the mountains and the sun is rising behind them like come on so I like to try to write this off by being like well maybe it's just a really misty sunset that well, looks they, like a sunrise they say it's
1: a day's ride they say it's a day's ride maybe it's okay. the sunset yeah but it's gonna
0: have to be I guess
1: Maybe they had to circle around.
0: <laughs> it certainly is made to look like a sunrise, but, you know, who am I? Uh, besides the fact that, you know, we've got people surviving volcanic explosions and elves seeing hundreds of miles because the earth is flat. So We haven't even gotten we... <laughs> to the volcanic
1: explosion. We're going to get to that. Science
0: is not a problem. Yeah, the, the writing here, is so. fun.
1: Back in the tavern, when Odd R comes in, and was like, yo, where's my thingy? And he starts killing everyone and is like... And he's threatening a that he's going to kill everybody. Like,
0: It's also, by the way, he... pitch black outside of the tavern in all of those shots, whereas like it's clearly like daytime. Yeah, I don't know what's <laughs> happening. And then they come
1: <laughs> out, and all of a sudden, it's daytime. Yeah. I guess like there's win- no windows. There's some funkiness with time. but It's whatever. Maybe they had to do some reshoots. No, he's killing people. It's like, hey, I'm going to keep killing people until you cave and tell me where the thing is. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was what was going to do it. Is he was going to, th- like, all right, her next. And Arandir was going to break and tell him. But he didn't. Theo did, which totally, you know, it makes sense. But I thought that was going to be, like, the thing, like, oh, no, elf guy broke. And I was kind of happy with that twist of, oh, no, it's Theo. And he gives it over to Adar.
0: yeah. And a, a very quick scene that's critical to understand what happens next is when they walk outside, Adar gives the hilt to Waldrig and he says, like, I have a job for you. I have a, a task for you. Did he? Yeah. I
1: totally missed yep, that. It's easy
0: to miss that. And so he gives the... Because I was
1: going to wonder earlier. I, yeah. I was like...
0: Uh, At what point? <laughs> when, when the hell
1: does that... Okay. okay. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, it happens so quick. we're immediately distracted because the Numenorians come yeah. rushing in and the ground is shaking. It's very cool and a big battle ensues. Falonilal saves Antimo's life, but Antimo's almost killed. Uh, Muriel apparently knows the sealed is itching to fight and sees his father down in the fray, so she tells him to go. Um, but it's Helbrand who ends up saving Elendil when he gets uh, in a, when he's in a pinch. Isildur arrives a few moments later, and he's like, you know, sort of panicking, thinking his father was killed. Galadriel meets Arandir for the first time in the show. Uh, He tells her that Adar cannot escape with the weapon that he's carrying. Theo is just like blown away by like, who is that? And Arandir's like, that is the commander of the northern armies, you know, as Galadriel's doing some cool moves on her horse. And uh, she has a pretty cool chase scene where she chases him down through the woods with her horse. And uh, Helbrand comes too. He grabs a spear and he chases after them. I did not think that I was going to like an action-heavy episode as much as I did. This was fun because we've had a lot of lore build up to get here. Yeah. So I I felt like it was the best of the action from The Lord of the Rings. Like This is, you know, uh, as I called it before, and I think a lot of people... Are you know we're calling it? It's like the Helms Deep, where you've got these people pushed into a corner, and they're gonna fight back and defend their land, and uh, a lot of cool action.
1: I thought the toppling of the horse when Hobbit sticks his spear out mm. to topple Adar's horse. That I thought was really funny, though, just because the horse gets up like, oh man, bro, yeah. <laughs> he's totally fine. Which good, good, yeah. good. I don't want the horse to be. But I was like. Yeah. And and
0: I I watched that scene again and like actually paused it because I was like, man, they had to have CG'd on like Halbrand's face onto this stunt guy, right? Like, Mm -hmm. or did the actor actually do that stunt where he was like leaning way off the horse with the spear and everything? Mm -hmm. Like there's a full on, you know, his face in the shot. And I was like, I wonder how much of that is like his stunt person and how much he's he's able to do. Cause he They did he, horseback training, yeah. yeah. And he and uh Morvid Clark both talked in you know Comic-Con about doing that horse training. Yeah, um,
1: and this is the other um this is the one where I was like, Oh shit. Yeah. His Halbrand Sauron, that scene yeah. where he's got this spear at Adar's neck and he's just like
0: Do you remember me?
1: Right, right. <laughs> I was
0: like, oh And then Adar's just like no and he's, like, upset about it. Right. <laughs> he's bothered. And uh, Galadriel comes running, again. She's like, we need him alive. And then from the ground, Adar's like, did I cause someone you love pain? A woman? Perhaps a child? And uh, Halbrand ends up sparing his life.
1: See, here's what I don't get. Because Galadriel's like, all right, we need him alive to question him. Obviously took a Rondir seriously. That whatever weapon he has can't get away. Mm-hmm. Galadriel, who's been so obsessed with hunting down Sauron and is now trying to find out, or at least from everything we know about her character, should be trying to find out everything she can about what the fuck's going on here doesn't open the bundle to be like what is this weapon they can't get away with (laughs) what is this thing they've been after she doesn't even like open it to look at it this whole time
0: well even if she did she would have seen an axe and been like i guess it was a really important axe i don't know (laughs) i think she
1: realized like they'd been tricked i don't know she doesn't
0: know what the hilt looks like he didn't say go get that sword hilt excuses. (laughs)
1: Excuses. <laughs> I, but anyway, that that's that's the plot hole there for me. Mm. But
0: this is the moment where when Galadriel goes off and chases Adar, and Theo sees her, and in the same shot. Halbrand then goes with Galadriel. I'm like, okay, so Halbrand and Theo are in the same place at the same time. No, and I honestly thought this is the explanation for why the sun is rising behind the Numenorians and it's daytime over here and it's nighttime. And the, and I was like, oh. See, I
1: thought they totally were going to show it because I thought the Numenorians were going to pull up, and it's already Mordor. <laughs> Is what I thought was going to happen, yeah. and show like, oh, this is a time thing, yeah, um and maybe Theo's Halbrand or someone else's, yeah, that would be cool. That would have been dope. And no, as soon as they pulled up, I was like, oh all right, yeah. well,
0: and so we stop We have to really take seriously that these, these showrunners said they don't like flashbacks, and that means That's half not the not show a flashback. is not a flash-
1: It's not a flashback. <laughs>
0: Whether those flashbacks, it's multi timeline, five minutes long or half a season long. They not, do not like flashbacks. It's not a flashback.
1: <laughs> anyway, in fact, I thought that was going to be like the like. Ha! I got you. It's not yeah. a flashback. It's multiple timelines. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Right. Um. Oh well, it's fine. I'm fine with it. Whatever. It was a
0: fun theory. Yeah. Um.
1: Now I'm putting all my eggs in the Halbranda Sauron basket. So all <laughs> right. That's where they live now.
0: Yeah. So after the battle uh the Numenorians are and the Southlanders are victorious Volandil apparently speaks with Galadriel and gets a position for he and Asildur on a new company Galadriel's formed to track down the remainder of the orcs and mm-hmm. uh, wipe them out presumably Antimo says he's gonna stick with the people of Tirharad and help out he has seen enough battle for a lifetime so we think okay so the next step of this journey is Volandil and Asildur are gonna join up with with Galadriel and her people maybe Halbrand. We're all going to go orc hunting. Galadriel has returned to Tir Harad with Adar in tow. She and Halbrand and Adar are all back because it looks like they're in Waldreg's old barn, which is funny because the hilt was hid hidden in that barn in a previous episode, directly beneath where Adar is now sitting chained up. She shares the story of the orc's origin as it appears in the published Silmarillion here, which is that In origin, the orcs were elves that were tortured and twisted by Morgoth, the first dark lord. They were made into a new and ruined form of life. And she has a word for this, the Moriandor. They're those
1: first orcs that kind of look like Adar, not not as monstrous and grotesque as we know them. The
0: sons of the dark, they Mm -hmm. don't look quite the same as the others. Adar likes to call them the Uruk. Now, uruk is a word in black speech that just means orc. Uh, we know uruk from Lord of the Rings because we see a sort of separate, almost like a separate species of orc that are called the uruk And the Urukai are a little bit more human-looking in Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings. Um, their uh, relation to the story and their involvement in it is, is slightly different between the films and the books, but suffice it to say... The implication in both the books and the films is that Saruman, the white wizard, might have had his own sort of breeding program where he interbred orcs and humans and created a new species. In the film, it is implied that the urukai that this is sort of like their origin, and we see them coming out of these like birthing pods in the ground, Mm -hmm. and they they seem to be more intelligent, more human-like than the sort of groveling orcs like we've seen in the show so far. So... When Adar calls his people the Uruk, um, it makes me wonder if we're sort of retconning what Urukai actually are in this mythology. Because it's not really canon that the Urukai were created by Sauruman, for example. They certainly existed before Sauruman. They were created by Sauron, if anyone, but their origin is mysterious in The Lord of the Rings. And so what I'm wondering is if the Uruk have been retconned to be that exact thing that Adar is. And and again, he says Uruk. Adar never says Urukai, which is the term from Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I think they're separate. And so Urukai means something like Orc folk or Orc people. So it is entirely possible that the Urukai of the Third Age were just sort of naming themselves after what race Adar is from. But it's also possible that we're just rewriting the origin of the Uruk, and even in the Third Age, the Uruk were like the tainted elves rather than the orcs, if that makes sense. So Galadriel has him tied up, as we said. He calls himself an Uruk, uh, one of the original orcs created by Morgoth. And then Galadriel asks, where is your master? Where is Sauron? And... She wants this information so bad that she's willing to torture those orcs that he considers his children. She threatens to bring them out into the sunlight, which is already like, ooh, okay. so
1: yeah, exactly. this huh. whole scene, I'm like, you're hmm. freaky. I' <laughs>
0: like you. So then he gives us a bit of backstory. Adar says, after Morgoth's defeat, the one that you call Sauron, once again, Easy to miss, but this is like Sauron is not what he calls himself, mm-hmm. not only because he's in disguise right now, but Sauron is a derogatory term for this guy in the same way that Morgoth was not the original name of the great enemy. So Sauron means the abhorred, the hated, the despised, right? And in the same way that Morgoth meant something like the black enemy. Uh, as opposed to his original name, Morgoth's original name, which was Melkor, and that's uh, there's a similarity between the, the names of these characters, like there is between like Lucifer, the you know angel of light, and Satan, right? <laughs> and um, so to to call him Sauron, that's probably not what his followers would be calling him. The one you call Sauron says Adar. Devoted himself to healing Middle Earth, bringing its ruined lands together in perfect order. He sought to craft a power not of the flesh, but over flesh, a power of the unseen world. So, this is where we flash back to the, the tower in the north, what Sauron was up to with all that black magic uh, that was referenced in the, the pilot episode. But no matter how much orc blood he spilled, Adar's children, or the orcs, Uh, were the ones that he was sacrificing. He was still missing something, and Adar got sick of Sauron killing all of his children and trying to figure this out. And So he says, I split him open. I killed Sauron. Galadriel does not believe him. I'm inclined to think that he believes that's what happened. I'm inclined to think that Adar really believes he killed him. Yeah. That's why um, he doesn't
1: recognize Halbrand. Exactly. I yeah. don't know. Who are you? Right. And that's why Halbrand's so pissed. He's like, are you serious? You seriously right. thought you killed yeah. me?
0: Yeah, exactly. Now, Adar says, why? You think I, I couldn't do it? your entire army couldn't do? She's like, no, I don't believe you're the only master of this entire army. He says, my children don't have a master. She said, they're not children. They're slaves. And this is, I absolutely love this part because it's perfect Tolkien canon, but it's troubling. He says, but each one has a name, a heart, a heart, right? She says, a heart created by Morgoth. And I, this is where I was like, Galadriel, no, no, you're wrong. Galadriel, no, Morgoth cannot create life. And this is why Tolkien himself struggled with the origin of the orcs. Like, uh uh-oh, I've got... Twisted elves, but as we talked about in the last episode, the immortal souls of elves—you can't mess with that. You don't just get to like corrupt it and destroy it and make it mortal, because you don't have enough mithril to coat your body with, or <laughs> or because you've been in a dungeon too long, so now you're an orc and you just die and that's it. That's not how souls work. At every living soul's center is the secret fire of Iluvatar. Morgoth did not create anything. So, so Galadriel's argument is completely against what Tolkien says. Morgoth cannot create. So he counters her with something that is correct by Tolkien's lore. When she says, a heart created by Morgoth, he says, and he's right, we are creations of the one, masters of the secret fire, the same as you, as worthy of the breath of life and just as worthy of a home. And this is Tolkien, and I'm I'm like, you just you're you're making sympathetic orcs? This is wild, man. This is like almost (laughs) too far for me, man. This is so and then we see Galadriel, yeah, get very, very heated and say, She says, No, your kind was a mistake made in mockery. Okay? Perhaps all those things are true, right? Your kind was made in mockery. That's absolutely true. Morgoth twisted and corrupted the elves in mockery. Uh, of Iluvatar's creation. But then she continues by saying, and even if it takes me all of this age, I vowed to eradicate every last one of you. So she's going to commit genocide. But you shall be kept alive, so that one day, before I drive my dagger into your poisoned heart, I will whisper in your piked ear, that all your offspring are dead, and the scourge of your kind ends with you. Wow. This is this is uh, very personal. She's gonna keep him alive so that she can emotionally torture him as he watches all the creatures that he considers children die, and then she's going to whisper in his piked ear that all of your kids are dead, and I'm like, I had to look up like piked ear, what does that even mean? And I cannot find any other definition than it just means pointy ear. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to whisper in your pointy little ear that all of your kids are dead.
1: That's terrifying. Right. That, that's horrible. Yeah. Um. Yeah, they're, like, uh, dark and evil, but, like, if they just want to land to, like, hang out by themselves, what's so wrong with that? Right. And if they're fighting for their own place in the world, I don't know. It's sympathetic. And I did not expect to be feeling sympathetic for um the nasty boys but here i am i mean first they have the warg which want as pet and now they've got like a backstory i don't know i don't know whose team i'm on
0: (laughs) so i love his response he smiles just like the emperor does in star wars when like luke is getting all super angry and he's like yes let the hatred embrace you he's got that like creepy smile and he's like it would seem i'm not the only elf alive who has been transformed by darkness perhaps your search for morgoth's successor should have ended in your own mirror (laughs) and i was like brilliant also potentially cute fun nod to the mirror of galadriel which is a kind of the The whole big plot point when they meet Galadriel in *Lord of the Rings*, they all go and look into her mirror. (laughs) So, she calls him a slavering orc and nearly kills him, but this time she is stopped by Halbrand, just like she stopped him from killing Adar before. And as she's holding the blade to him, Adar whispers "Uruk," which I love. I laughed at that. I was like, "Get it right." But she does leave this nasty-looking cut on his neck that starts bleeding. Um, but he's totally unfazed by it. When she leaves with Halbrand, there's a tense moment when Otar looks over, his throat still bleeding from the cut, and asks Halbrand, "Who are you?" And he says nothing and walks away. Yeah,
1: I know, I know, I know. I'm Sauron pile, Sauron pile.
0: Yeah, yeah. That I I just keep thinking about that question. Who are you? He's like suddenly very. It seems alarmed and curious and like hmm something else is going on here galadriel and halbrand go out and have a moment in the woods he thanks her for she thanks him for uh pulling her back he says well you pulled me back first and then she tells halbrand whatever it was that he did whatever it was that you did be free of it and once again just like that other scene with Halbrand back in Numenor I keep thinking like if this turns out to be Sauron we're gonna really be rethinking these kinds of scenes like whatever you did back then whatever he did be free of it and I'm like well if it has to do with the murder of your brother and (laughs) the enslavement of of elves and the destruction of a continent and so on would you really be saying this to this guy Halbrand says I never believed I could be free of that until today fighting at your side i felt and he pauses and he says if i could just hold on to that feeling keep it with me always bind it to my very being then i and then he pauses and she says i felt it too and they look at each other, and I was like, uh oh, uh oh. <laughs>
1: I did not, no.
0: I would like to not think that that was a romantic moment, but. I don't think so. I think that it's supposed to be hinted at because if we're going with the Halbrand is Sauron theory, it will be even more of a slap in the face to Gladriel if she starts to have some romantic feelings for the very enemy she's been seeking this whole time. I, I think know, that's dumb. What a fun twist.
1: I don't like that <laughs> twist at all. I <laughs> think them being kind of friends. And then tipping it into the romance line it makes it again tropey and i'm like no Mm. oh no i fell in love with the enemy done a million times before if they do that i'll hate it
0: Mm. but he also says if i could hold on to the feeling keep it with me always bind it to my very being like that to me sounds very sauron-ish if there is any hint of romance let's just suppose for just a moment there is Maybe it's something that is only accessible to Galadriel because she has been in a place of darkness herself. Like, you know, it's not just a sympathy between two characters, but it's also like she has grown closer to the motivations of Sauron himself in hating Sauron. It's like, exactly like I said with the Emperor and Luke Skywalker, right? <laughs> to make a, The more you hate, the more you seek out your enemy in hate, the more you become like them. And that's perhaps what's happening to her. All right, back in Tir Harad, they're having a party. Muriel meets Arandir and Bronwyn. She introduces Bronwyn to Halbrand. And Bronwyn asks, is it true? Are you the king we were promised? And there's a long moment where he pauses before he says yes. And he kind of looks around and like thinks about it. And of course we all wonder what's going through his head, right? Are you the king we were promised?
1: Bronwyn jumps to the assumption after seeing the pouch Sybil like oh you're the king we were promised like how would she recognize that makes no sense also everyone just immediately like woo this guy we have never met before is our king woo like it's just too fairy tale happy-go-lucky you know what I mean like oh yeah this guy like anybody could have that pouch. I forget the pouch anybody could just like pull up like oh look I drew a fancy symbol on yeah. the king you could have just had like a little bit of pushback like how do you know he's the king someone explains like the sigil yeah. or have him explain himself mm-hmm. like to the people like even give like a short speech like hey I know you don't know me but I'm your king right. you now. Um well something and it, again it's if, just... we're,
0: if we're going with the Halbrand is Sauron theory then I think that maybe the writers want us to accept that these people did too quickly and too easily without any second thought, except the king, you know, like, there's not a good reason behind it on purpose. Like, they shouldn't have done that. There was no good reason to think that. He literally could have been anyone, including the Dark Lord that will enslave your people. (laughs) Like... That was their mistake. Halbrand has been reluctant to take up any kind of leadership position. In fact, he was reluctant to even come back here. Mm -hmm. If we go with the Sauron theory, he's trying to remove himself from this, maybe trying to turn a corner. And to be brought back here and to basically have people laying down at his feet being like, please be our king. And he's like, well, okay, <laughs> I guess if I have to. Oops,
1: look L- at me. Yeah, like Murdering the- again.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's this is kind of what I felt like was happening in his mind if he was Sauron <laughs> in that pause. He's sort of like... Yes, I am the king. God damn it. You know, like, uh, I guess here we go again. You know, I I can't make this, I can't stop this from happening. It's fated. They say all hail to the true king of the Southlands. And then Galadriel uh, gives the weapon that she's retrieved from Adar to Arandir. And Arandir sees Theo sitting by himself. He goes over to Theo. Theo talks to Arandir about this feeling of power that he had when he held the, the hilt. And then Arandir says, then you, you need to get rid of it. You need to destroy it or whatever. You need to get it away from you, something like that. So he he gives this wrapped thing that he he and Galadriel still think is the hilt. Weirdly, yeah, none of them have opened it yet. But he hands it to him and he's he gives him the choice to destroy it, which uh, is very trusting of Arandir for something that they just fought a whole battle over. Um, I I totally respect that Arandir gives him the choice, but it does seem a bit over trusting of him for this kid who literally was just like, man, I felt powerful with that thing. Oh, you're just going to give it to me? Cool. You know, like I would say maybe let's destroy it together. You know, yeah, Yeah, let's go together and destroy it. Uh, We can give it to the Numenoreans and we can throw it over the ships together or something but he says uh, you give it to the numenorians and then we'll trust that the numenorians will take the thing and destroy it themselves so neither one of us is actually going to see what happens to it in this scenario so it's a bit weird but like the sentiment is great that arondir in this sort of father son bonding moment is like then I trust you. You recognize that the power you had is not a good thing and you need to get rid of it. And so here, the choice will be yours. He opens it and is like, oh, it's an axe. It's not even the right thing. So, and this is where we go back to that moment where Waldrig was assigned a task. He has taken the hilt. He has gone back to that watchtower and it turns out probably wasn't an elvish watchtower to begin with because not only did it have that creepy stuff written in stone, but that hilt is a key that will uh the the lock is built right into the tower here and when you insert the key and turn it the tower becomes a big way of opening up the dam that has been holding back this water the whole time
1: and i immediately started cracking up because this happens minutes after Halbrand finally has his kingdom and they're just like and it's gone (laughs) 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 we're just gonna wipe that shit off the earth i'm also i have so many questions because the way it's set up so it looks like the key opens the dam and the orcs had dug all these tunnels so that the dam water rushes into the dormant mount doom and it erupts right who built this originally (laughs) yeah like was this just a key to open the dam? maybe as like an emergency like military move of just like, oh where, if soldiers come in here, boom, this cracks open the dam, and it's like a like a fail it's like a fail safe type move that existed. you know, maybe that's how it happened, and the orcs knew about it. they're like, oh well, if we dig tunnels into this, but how do they know it's a dormant volcano? I have so many questions mm-hmm. <laughs> on how this plan was developed, you know, yeah. like how did who laid the groundwork for this and also why does the magic sword not sword it's a key is the thing that opens. what yeah. <laughs> like how well, i the think i think
0: sauron is probably the one who orchestrated it.
1: i wonder though could sauron have like just swooped in and co-opted this like nice buddy thanks for doing all the work mm-hmm. now i have mordor like yeah
0: well, right, because, in fact, you know, Galadriel, she's reading old Numenorean documents, and there was a message from a spy written a long time ago, right? And it mm-hmm. says something like, you know, that Sauron is trying to create a safe place for the orcs to thrive. But who was the person that actually wrote that document, and is it is it trustworthy? Right. Because that appears to be what Adar is doing and Adar's got a great motivation for that he does think of the orcs as children does Sauron though Right. does he have the same motivation Adar and Sauron clearly seem to be in some conflict here so you know and Sauron has never struck me as somebody who cares much about the orcs like he needs them for his armies but he's yeah. not a father figure to them ever and That you know in the mythology so far so as far as you know Adar clearly seems to know what will happen when you stick the key in and turn it. Uh, that engine will rev up, but how much Sauron has played a role in that so far, hard to say. As as the uh, cataclysm is beginning, though, and the water is running from the dam and going towards the volcano, we cut to Isildur and Alendil who are having a father-son moment. Uh, Beric is panicking as he's feeling the ground tremble, presumably. We, that's what we think at first. And Alendil comes down and he says, no he's the horse is sensing your emotions uh that the horses of westerness form an unbreakable bond with horses they ride into battle and uh so beric is sensing your emotions and you have you have these feelings of panic that's the horses responding to them
1: or the horse senses that the volcano is going to
0: erupt but yeah nice be. way to make it flower <laughs> sure yeah, right. um, thanks alendil and then isildur is like where did you learn all this and alendil says from your mother it's the second time we've heard you know Isildur's mother referenced in this episode uh, the first time was when Isildur was on ship with Galadriel and he you know Galadriel he he says my name is Isildur and she's like oh you know you do look like your father and he's like well most people say I look like my mother but anyways it's a nice moment between the two of them and you know Elendil is, seems to have been reluctant to talk about uh, his wife this whole time this is the first time you know, he talks, he says to Galadriel, just so briefly, she, he's like, she drowned and walks away. And that's it. That's all he'll say. But here he finally, you know, shares with his son something that his wife taught him, which is the connection between horse and rider as the Numenorians understand it. And Isildur is like, you think you could teach me? And they embrace as the world starts to fall apart. So yeah, that's steam apparently from the water entering the volcano causes pressure to build up and it you know causes the volcano to ignite
1: this is where i'm lost because this type of blast and how close they are to it and how quickly it hits everyone no one other than like maybe galadriel and arondir should live (laughs) like everyone should be dead everyone should be dead but you know they're not going to kill off the entire cast Yeah, even
0: even Galadriel, I mean, yes. She stands in it. She stands in
1: the pyroclastic blast. Like, are you kidding me?
0: Yeah. Yeah, even in a world where we've got a flat earth and uh, the the sun and moon are spirits flying around in ships. uh, You know, I still have trouble with (laughs) the idea that Galadriel stands in a volcanic explosion and is like, Hmm.
1: Yeah, I know. Th- this kills me for all of them, especially because, like, I picture Mount Doom as, like, a Yellowstone-level event. Yeah. Anyone yeah. that can see it erupt is dead, dead. Right. You know, right. I mean, th- there's no way. There's no way. Yeah. And, like, most of them are human, fragile little baby humans. Like, yeah, it's just stupid. I wish they would have been like, oh, no, something's going on with all the earthquakes and maybe, like, minor blasts and like really bad earthquakes picking up everyone's like we got to get out of here right and the new Menorians are like hey come on we're we're leaving if you want to live go with <laughs> us and brought there could even be like a quick yeah. debate with the humans of just like but we just want our home back and bronwyn finally being like all right let's go with them you know
0: mm-hmm.
1: come on deal and then they go you know there could just a quick scene of them getting out of dodge but no they have galadriel literally stand there and just get with that yeah. It's this kind of stuff no. where I'm just like, guys, <laughs> tone it
0: down. This I is... got to admit, though. That, like... And it took me
1: out of the action because it should be a really cool scene because you've got this giant, you've got the dam, water through all the tunnels, and you're like, oh, that's what the tunnels are for. Into the mountain. Whoa, the dam erupts, the volcano, and then eruption. <laughs> this should be badass. And the entire time I'm just like, looking at how close they are to it i'm like well this is stupid this is plot Uh, armor
0: yeah i have to admit i would make the same mistake if i was writing the show though because i love disaster films in fact i would have had i was disappointed that it was like the last five minutes i was like we needed a whole episode of the explosion of mount doom but i also would have made the mistake of having galadriel just like (laughs) stand there and get hit by it because i think it's freaking cool and like we've already seen in the trailer the scenes where like everything's covered in red ash and she's just like the sole person standing there looking around and i'm like yeah that's so cool I'm like you know what i physics be damned i will have a cool scene like that in my show too okay
1: so. well that's why i said it earlier okay maybe for gladriel
0: yeah and but ain't no way what about all ain't of no the way humans? even a help an elf could survive that that's that's insane even
1: the human especially the humans that ash is that hot and moving that quickly you're dead mm-hmm. instantly yeah it's also you can't breathe it like she would be choking there's no it doesn't make any sense plot twist
0: no. in the beginning of the next episode we find out everyone did die <laughs> Belendil and isildur were not with everyone else so you could be like oh no they were far away and everyone's dead except galatriel and muriel no, I don't. I don't I'm think they're
1: gonna Game of Thrones stuff. it. No. Okay, <laughs> not gonna do that.
0: But <sighs> anyway, we uh, we we covered a lot of ground in this episode, a lot more than I was expecting. I kind of thought in this episode we were just gonna land uh, the ships and then be like, all right, let's set up for yeah, the big battle in really, really the quickly. next episode, and then, then the
1: battle's over, like all in one episode. They get there, they have the battle, the battle's over. Yep. Very very quick.
0: Yeah. So. We've got two full episodes left. Yeah. And we've already got Mordor, right? Yeah. And two full episodes left. So like, it's not like this was necessarily the big action episode from which we're going to have a denouement in the like finale now. It's, it's, we've got two full episodes uh, remaining. So I do want to say one thing related to just like fears that I've noticed is happening in this show. And there was a hint of it again with this, uh, Alfren Seeds. So Alfren seeds are—they're making a big deal of the Alfren seeds because of Cymbal Mune from The Lord of the Rings. We know that it grows on the tombs of kings, as I mentioned. So they like want to have a cooler origin for it. So like, if it has something to do with Bronwyn and you know Arandir, and then we're gonna use it to you know uh, cauterize her wound in this critical scene, just because we've got the seeds there, right? It's like they want to give a really cool, big, flashy origin to everything we know from Lord of the Rings, right? And And some shit's
1: just flowers. we, we
0: (laughs) We saw, you know, the big finale here is like, we know Mount Doom is going to explode, but like, let's make all plot lines center on this and make it not just like a natural phenomenon. The explosion of Mount Doom happens as a direct result of like characters' actions and like, You turn a key and the mountain explodes. And it felt to me like within this season, we're trying to give these origin stories for things we know from Lord of the Rings that sometimes have become such a stretch. Like this explosion of Mount Doom was a big stretch, but even bigger, of course, was the last episode when we're like, myth real, we're going to make up this wild story for it, you know?
1: I could have bought... The thing with the Mount Doom thing is the key. Because like, why is there a key that opens a dam? It just seems... And why is that key also a super powerful weapon and it opens a dam? Like, that's the function of the key. It opens the dam because the orcs had to build the tunnels for it to get to Mount Doom to explode the volcano. It would have been much more believable if the plan was like, oh, hey, this is a dormant volcano. If we flood it, it will explode. So let's build these tunnels. And then they just like blow up the dam or break yeah. the dam somehow that would have been way more right believable the, the than this being... like magic key that does it yeah. and i'm like
0: uh. and it is a stretch again to say that like okay sauron doesn't have the power to blow open a dam right and like flood this place like right. he, okay or or apparently he did and this is his way of doing it and he left the key behind for that reason but i mean okay like it's all right sure damn key it's it's a damn key that damn key that's the (laughs) name of this episode (laughs) so anyway that's it for episode six thanks for hanging with us and uh yeah tell us what you think what are your hopes and fears for the finale what are you what are you afraid they're gonna mess up uh or what are you excited for them to finally put on screen let us know
1: hit us up on twitter at history of arda where i occasionally shit post
0: you can send us an email history at gmail.com all right bye Till next time